I'm preaching this morning, and I'm restarting our, our study through the book of First Peter. In our church, we love to preach through books of the Bible, to take them and work our way through them and pick the bones of the Scriptures. But at the same time, we also teach on certain themes. And so for the last four se uh, sessions we had, we've been teaching in a, a series that we call Family Matters, where we touch on issues that affect the life of the church. And over the last four sessions that we had, we taught about identity, that we are chosen, that we are free, that we are forgiven, and that we are loved. And we emphasize those facts. Between now and Christmas and the Christmas services, we're going back to our study of First Peter. And in the first visit to the book, we went through chapter 1, so we're starting with chapter 2 today. In chapter 1, we found a pattern of Peter exhorting the church and reminding them of the great reward that they can lay up in heaven and of the great hope that we have for the future and the motivation to serve God. And at the same time, there was a challenge for us to walk in holiness, to make godly decisions as a lifestyle, and so to walk in holiness. Um, today we are and, and today we're going to look at an exhortation as well for us to change our lifestyle. Now, it just struck me as I looked at the Scripture today, which I'll read to you first and then comment on. Let's just read it first. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that, it, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And verse 2 starts with an exhortation for us to change our lives. Now, last week, Ant taught very powerfully on the fact that we are free. And it struck me that what I'm teaching this morning might be seen as something of a contradiction because it's saying, do something. And I just wanted to point us to the fact that we are free from the law. We are free from a set of regulations and rules that we have to live by. But there is a call to us to change our lives and to respond with love and with passion to what Christ has already done in our lives. The change that we are asked to go through by Peter is one responding to love, it's responding to salvation, and it's calling us that under the influence of God's precious and gentle Holy Spirit, we change our minds and our lives to become more like Christ so that we can point others to salvation. There is an option when God gives us salvation through Jesus Christ, when we go before Him and we say to Him, we realize that we are sinners, that we need salvation, and we ask Jesus Christ to take our lives and to replace them with His life because He died on the cross for us. There is an instant coming to life of being born again that we talk about in our lives that is lasting. We have a choice, however, as to whether we want to go further than that or whether we want to just stay there. There is a point that you might say, I'm safe, I'm saved, I'm staying right here. I'm not going to lift my head above the parapet or above the, uh, the, the, the firing line. I'm just going to cruise along here, and there's a place where we say, I have wonderful news, I have a salvation that I'm aware of, my life has been changed, and I want to share that, and if we're going to do that, we need to grow. Christ himself was prepared to lay down his whole life for us. I say this often, we thank him frequently for dying for us. A lot of the songs that we sing thank Christ for dying for us, and, and, and that is incredible. We remember that when we have communion, that Christ died for us. Remember that he also lived for you. For his entire life on the earth, he lived according to his Father's will for our sake so that he could be sinless for us. He was prepared to lay down his life. And therefore, in Romans 12 and verse 1, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your true and proper worship. It says we are to offer ourselves as a sacrifice. It doesn't say that God is demanding this aspect of your life or demanding that aspect of your life. He's given us life and life more abundant. He's given us salvation, and we've said over and over again that's a lasting gift. But he asks us to bring a sacrifice of who we are, to be prepared to change who we are in the way that we behave and to seek that holiness that Peter talked about in the first chapter of placing him first in all the decisions that we make. So we have a choice as to how we use the freedom given to us of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And then Peter reminds them why they should do that. If we look, I'm going to start at the bottom of our scripture and work my way back up again. Let's read that scripture again. It says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I'm starting at the bottom of that scripture, that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's exhortation for them to change is not because there's a whip at their backs, but because of what they have enjoyed and the blessing that they have received from God. It's urging them to gratitude. I want to challenge you about gratitude in your life. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good in my life. But the truth of the matter is when we reflect on our lives, and quite often when people ask us how we are, we look either for the things that are bothering us, and we work our way quite quickly to the things that bother us or things that have cost us. Or we look at those major events, those special events that have happened in our life, and we point back to those. I was just thinking if, if we had spoken to one of the Israelites moving through the wilderness with Jesus, if we'd spoken to them as they entered into the promised land, and we said to them, what has God done for you? They might have talked about the parting of the Red Sea, the fact that this Massive body of water was parted for them to walk through. They might have talked about water from a rock when Moses struck a rock and water flowed from it. They might have talked about their victory over the Amalekites where Moses stood and prayed and Joshua fought and the sun stood still. And they might have thought of those amazing things, but what they might not have mentioned is that for 40 years he gave them their daily bread. Just something which over the years they got used to, but a precious gift from God every morning. As they came out from their tents, there would be food provided for them. They may not have mentioned the fact that they were kept healthy, supernaturally so, through that time. Because we don't always remind ourselves so much of the everyday things that God does in His life, of His constant goodness, of His everyday goodness in our lives. And I want to challenge you to do that. To take some time on a daily basis to contemplate what God has placed in your life that is good. It's, I don't know what you like, I'm, I'm a, a natural warrior, and I don't mean the battling kind, I mean the one that worries. I wish I was the other warrior to a greater extent, but when I wake up in the morning, my mind is inclined to go to the things that are bothering me about the day ahead. My mind's inclined to start running through a list of things that I have to do and things that I'm concerned about. How much better to wake up in the morning and begin to say to ourselves, this is what God has done for me. This is the goodness of God in my life. The small things the big things, everything, and to remind ourselves, to motivate ourselves in a different way so that we're getting up not saying, this is what I have to do, this is what I have to do to please God, these are the rules and the expectations that are piled onto my back, but rather that we're getting up saying, this is how I'm going to respond to the goodness of God that I've experienced in my life. This is how I'm going to respond to that constant love that deals with the small details and with the big crises. Peter reminds the church that they've tasted this goodness, and he challenges them to seek spiritual growth. 
What would you like to see in your walk with Jesus? Many times our desire is for the exciting experiences with God, for glimpses of the spectacular, for healing, for signs of the power gifts. How, how do we see ourselves growing up? Is it just the spectacular? But we need, Peter says next, if you're working from the bottom of the verse like I'm doing, that you need food, that you need the milk, that you need to be fed on God's Word. Um, there's a challenge that we don't just stay where we are. If we have a, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a graphic illustration, if we have a little baby, and I think I've shared before, I'm becoming a grandfather for the first time in March, and I'm enormously excited, inordinately so. I think as the time comes closer, I'm going to have to be strapped down occasionally just to calm down. Um, and my wife is worse than I am, so my poor son and, his, and my daughter-in-law are going to have to fend us off. We are so excited. But if that baby is born and is never sustained with milk, is never fed, it's not going to grow and eventually it's going to wane away. If it's fed regularly and never exercised, it's going to become rather large and floppy. There is a natural healthy process whereby you nurture a baby, it gets stronger and it's able to do things later that it can't do in the beginning. The beginning of a baby's life is quite uneventful besides the, the, the massive trauma of birth. But once it's a little baby lying on its back in a crib, it basically has little responsibility. I've heard a baby described as an elementary canal with a loud noise at one end and a total lack of responsibility at the other. And they're not expected to do anything impressive. But as they take on that food and as they're exposed to the challenges of life, they're expected to grow and become stronger. And when we become born again and we take our lives and give them to Jesus Christ, we become, I guess, as a born-again person, a spiritual baby. You have the choice of whether you're going to remain there or you're going to grow. Are you going to seek the food, the milk of the Word? Clive, two microphone case. I feel like a gunfighter. Just put this one back. Um, we're urged in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 to 14. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being an, still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. We are challenged to grow. We are challenged to actively do something about growing. And so I want to just have you think about something for a moment. What are you actively doing about growing? What are you doing to grow yourself? It's great that you're here this morning. It's a blessing that you come to listen to God's Word and to worship. But in a day-to-day -day basis, in terms of taking on board your daily bread, are you strengthening yourself? Are you seeking God's face? Are you looking to grow? And then when you grow in your knowledge of the Word, are you looking to apply that in your life and in the lives of those around you? Peter says that we need to be doing that. We need to establish ourselves first on milk, but then we need to take on the meat and the substance of God's Word. So if I'm working from the bottom of the Scripture upwards, we've established that God is good and that we need to grow in our understanding of Him. But having established the need to grow and mature, what is Peter suggesting that the church starts with? And I want to look at the things that he says we need to be free from. It says that we need to free ourselves from these things. We need to be released from them. 
He doesn't start with a list of capital crimes. He doesn't say, church, people, as you grow up in Christ, you need to stop murdering people. You need to stop robbing banks. You need to... He talks about relationship and things that come into the church quietly and subtly. And I want to show you that he says, therefore, and I'm going to lose my place now, therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy. Let's look at those things individually, but I want to remind you that the word is all. There is a temptation for us to leave little bits of things in our lives. You know, I, I know people who are very strict on their diet, much stricter than I am. And they'll take a lot of sugar in their tea and they'll say, that's my little sin. I'm doing all the big things right, so I'm leaving that little bit of extra sugar intake in my diet. That's my little sin. And they're welcome to do that, but sometimes we do that in a spiritual sense. We say, well, I'm avoiding the big things. I'm not into blasphemy or murder. But the little bit of gossip, well, God will understand. And maybe he will, but you won't be healthy, and the church group that you're in won't be healthy if we leave these things in any form in our lives. So let's just have a look. Peter urges them to get rid of certain lifestyle traits that will hinder them as they grow in maturity and in service, to be free from these things just as they are free from the law. So the first one is freedom from malice. And when I looked up what that meant in the Strong's Concordance, it says, ill will, desire to injure, and depravity. That's from the Thayer's definition. Michael Eaton says, hostility and holding of grudges. And it speaks to attitude. It speaks to those bits of us that sit inside and actually take joy when someone that we don't like who's been unkind to us gets their comeuppance. That takes a dislike to something in a person's life and quietly harbors that and thinks they'll get there some stage or other. Their turn will come. That attitude does not belong in our lives. It doesn't belong in our church. It doesn't belong in our community, in our family. He says, free yourself from malice, from that ill will, the desire to injure. He says, freedom from deceit. In the Strong's Concordance, it translates as tricks and wiles and sub being subtle in a, in a negative way. And for me, that talks in everyday terms about hidden agendas. As a Christian, as a member of the church family, as a member of your family, you're deeply encouraged and you're actually admonished to not have any hidden agendas, to be open and clear and to be working towards the common good of your family, the purpose of God in your life and the well-being of the church community. This is not a place to bring your personal desires and your personal uh, ambitions and to work those out quietly in cost of other people's well-being. He says, leave deceit behind, leave malice behind. He says, freedom from hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is when we don't live what we preach. And when we don't live what we preach, we can cause tremendous damage and distrust. I read something which I thought I'd heard about, so I went and looked it up when I was preparing for this. Mahatma Gandhi, who you would know was a, a leader in the uh, independence movement in India. He was a political as well as a spiritual leader. He once said of Christianity, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. He said that after he went to do, wanted to go to a church and he was chucked out because he was not acceptable to that church. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christianity. How we live out what we proclaim from the pulpit and what we proclaim in our, in our conversations with people, I'm a Christian, strongly affects whether people are going to be open to receive Christ in their life or not. And it affects the church around us. There's a, 
You know, I love the fact that every time I find something difficult in the Bible that God expects of me, every time I find something that is a real challenge, I can look and see that Jesus met that challenge and lived it himself. One of the most challenging passages in Scripture is the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks to his disciples and says, this is how we're going to live as we go on ministry. And as you tick through those things, do not judge, love one another, bear good fruit. Everything he expects of his disciples, he demonstrates in his life and his ministry. He lives it out. And we as people who call ourselves Christians should be living a life of integrity and not of hypocrisy. And finally, it talks about freedom from envy. Envy of others in the family of God stops us from filling the role that God has called us to. And this is one that is a challenge sometimes for people. God has called you to a purpose and a plan at this time of your spiritual walk. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Now if the foot, and it's talking in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul draws a, a picture of the body of Christ being like a human body and saying, Each part of this human body that we have has a particular role to play that it must fulfill for the body to function properly. I'm standing here talking to you right now, and I guess my lungs and my lips and my tongue are playing a major role, and to some small extent, my brain, because it's, it's needed somewhat. But I'm also standing on my feet, and if they weren't doing their job, I'd be less comfortable, and I'm holding the microphone in my hands, and I'm hearing the, 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 what I'm saying through my ears, and every part is playing its role in, in, in the, the function that I have at the moment. And we all call to play a full role in the church where God has called you. One of the greatest challenges in that area is when people are envious of somebody else's role and land up not doing what they're called to. Paul says this. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. But I put this to add it, but it may stop listening. And if you have an envy in you because of someone who's been appointed as a home leader, someone who's been appointed to the worship team and you're not there, and you've been called to be part of some other aspect of ministry and you stand back and say, because I can't do that, I won't do, the body's not going to grow and function as we've said this baby needs to grow up. As we grow up individually, we help the church to grow up corporately. And envy is going to be something that's going to clash with that Sorry, I said finally there's one more. Freedom from slander, from defamation, from backbiting. And simply I've written this down in my notes. How will others desire to join us if we tear ourselves apart? The old saying that sticks and stones will break my bones but names will never hurt me is not true. What we say has tremendous power, especially in this day and age when we have the ability to say it, not just nationwide but worldwide, instantaneously and indelibly on the internet. We need to be really careful that we speak to build one another up. Why are we looking at all these things which are negative things? Because Peter's saying to us, put these things aside so that we can grow up, drinking and eating of God's Word and of God's presence to become what He wants us to be in the family and so we can be effective. And so there's a challenge for you this morning. Are you being all that you can be? Are you growing up? Are you just like you were this time last year? Are you just like you were when you became a Christian 14 years ago? Has something changed? Has something grown? Has your focus, your character, your nature developed more into the character and nature of Christ? It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you too. I just want to end by saying that you may be sitting here and going on, well, what's he talking about? 
I've come into church, I've not been here before, I've not been to many churches, and you're talking about this corporate family of Christ and about being born again. We believe that Jesus Christ can change our lives, that He can take us from a place of being guilty of our sins before God to being in a place of forgiveness because He Himself came to this earth and died for us. The Word of God says He came and died for everybody, every single person sitting in this room. Jesus has already died for your sins and has already earned the right for those sins to be forgiven. And all He's asking is that you accept that gift and take your damaged life and say to Him, you can have this one and I can have the one that you're offering me. And we as a church family here believe that this is the most tremendous gift that anyone could ever receive and we rejoice in the fact that we are saved by grace and we'd like you to have that too. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, I'd like to be part of a community that has those characteristics and doesn't like those things, but I don't understand what it means to be in the family of God, we would love to talk to you. You can come up and speak to myself or one of the leadership Ed's here as well, the other elder that support Ant. Uh, our prayer team will be at the sofas. And just to say to you that our prayer team will be ministering at the end of this service. Uh, they're there to pray with you if you have a, a point of need, if you have a point of emotional need or physical need or we just want some encouragement. They'll be there with you. It's confidential. They won't share what you uh, talk to them about with anyone else. But they can also share with you what it means to become a Christian and to have Jesus Christ in your life. And I would love to know that no one's going to leave this place this morning without thinking about the fact that we can have forgiveness for our sins and a relationship with God that will last for eternity free and forgiven, as one of our songs says. So I want to encourage you to do that thinking and to make those decisions. For those of you who've walked with the Lord for some time, I want to encourage you to be different tomorrow than you were today and different next year than you are right now. And some of the things that we can look at, remember that word all. Each of these things, as I've read them, malice and deceit and hypocrisy, we can all say, I'm not bad at that. Have you eliminated it? Are you working to let the last little vestiges be taken out of your thinking and the way that you live? That's the challenge that we have this morning. I'm going to pray, and Zach, are you guys able to do one more song for us? I'm going to pray, and then Zach's going to come and lead us in a song. Do remember also that after the service, we'll be serving coffee in the coffee shop, and you're very welcome to go and have some fellowship. But do come and talk to us if you'd like to know more about having a life filled with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray it changes us. Thank you for the exhortation to take out these things which, however small they may be in our lives, can be destructive. But most of all, thank you for the exhortation to grow, to not be the same, but to become effective and to become part of the, the team that works, the body that works on this earth to help people to know you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Amen.